Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. The COVID-19 pandemic is rolling around the world, extinguishing expected futures and opening up the possibilities of different ones. At FuturePod, we have decided to speak to our previous guests and ask them what this moment in time means for them and, more importantly, to all of us. If you would like to know more about the guests we speak to, then please visit their earlier interview on the website futurepod.org. Today, our guest is Kieran Murray. Welcome back to FuturePod, Kieran. Thanks a lot, Peter. So, Kieran, where are you and what's going on around you? So I am in my studio. I'm in Ballarat, which is a regional town near Melbourne. Overlooks the backyard, which is nice and sunny at the moment, which is nice. But yeah, with three young kids, my wife's a teacher. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit fortunate and I can kind of get out into the studio and and focus when I need to. But um, yeah, trying to balance all of those things around the requirements of children now at home and also uh, what we need to do to, to pivot our business. Are you doing home parenting? Sorry, what they're calling it, uh, homeschooling? Homeschooling, well, yeah, the iPad's doing a little bit of that. And luckily, my wife is a teacher, so she's pretty skilled in that area. But we're going to have some logistical challenges, no doubt, as as she returns to um, teaching, even in an online capacity. Yeah, I'm sure. How's the business pivot going? It's good. It's challenging. Probably what we're what we're doing with a, a couple of our programs is we're accelerating into areas that we thought we might be moving into in about 18 months two years time because the a lot of our programs that were based on workshops and so forth we've had to um, postpone it's giving us an opportunity obviously that's a challenge but it's giving us an opportunity to to really accelerate the bolder parts of our planning anyway so we're hoping there's some silver linings at the end of end of this for us and it's kind of been exciting to be honest in leaving some of the conventional work we were doing behind and really getting our teeth into uh uh, accelerating the bits we're most excited about anyway. Good. Talk some more about what you think has gone away and what you think is possibly either being asked for or or you're really saying is needed. Yeah, so I think we tend to do a lot of strategy work, future thinking, but innovation in the health, education, community, government sectors. But alongside that, we've had a program called Crazy Ideas College which is we've been establishing platforms and programs to tap into young people as agents of change, um, to give them the opportunity to reshape the world, but to really make sure that when they do that, they're connected to resources and decision makers so that we don't just come up with great ideas, but we can make sure we move them through to implementation. So we've got a couple of different aspects to our business, and that's where we've kind of we've put a couple of new people on at the start of this year, had a lot of work lined up, that as I say now, we're having to kind of pivot around. But we've got that part, which I might come to a little bit later, and then also our traditional consulting piece where we've got work postponed. But we're also having, you know, clients come to us and ask us to help make sense of the change that's going on and and help them perhaps think through how they can both respond well but also make sure they're ready to capitalise on opportunities that might start to flow uh, as we move out of the current disruptions. So how do you do that? So how have you been helping people both, you know, make sense and and also work out what to do? Yeah, so it's been fascinating because I've gone back to a tool I haven't used in the eight years of consulting to date in sort of leaping off Jim Data's 
four archetypes of the future. And it, it seems to be a, a nice way of just explaining to people the various things they might see around them at this point in time that are sort of online more acutely together than they might traditionally be, but also more visible. So people understand this notion that we've got continuity or business as usual and that there's, you know, there's elements of that we're trying to keep in place, but also where they're seeing, we, we, we're talking about as breakdown and disorder, so breakdown of some of that continuity, the business as usual, and where we'll start to see as, aspects of disorder in our system and in our communities and societies. And then talking through that, obviously, one of the things that's come on mind really strongly is this limits and discipline as well as one of the ways that we're responding to it. Ah. And, and then starting to open up the space for what we're sort of, we're framing it more as the seeds of transformation. So saying, yeah. look, at this point in time, you're going to probably see continuity business as usual. What can we keep, how do we keep the lights on for all our various kind of regular aspects? What's breaking down around us? Where are we seeing disorder? How do we kind of get our, get our hands around that? Where are limits and discipline coming in? Where is that healthy? Where might that be unhealthy or the risk of it turning into unhealthy form? And then saying, are we actually opening up the space for, for transformation? So that seems to work reasonably well in terms of them just going, oh, yep, that makes sense. I can see all of those things. So from there, you know, we, we can start to, I think we're asking people whether they feel as though this is just a temporary issue for them or whether this feels like it's going to be the start of a more significant change or and I know we're not at the start but you know for them for many people they're kind of seeing this as the first real hit but I think there seems to be in a growing sense that or appreciation that this isn't the end of it that we're going to be in for a whole host of challenges over the coming years as as we need to sort of move beyond our traditional responses so uh, it's been useful in that regard, just helping people make sense of it so they can go, okay, that's great. And then it opens up an opportunity for us to talk about the model we're just using is kind of this sense that as a business or an organisation, you're going to need to be doing response because <laughs> you've got to stay alive. You've got to stay viable. You've got to make sure that you know what your customers really need, what's most important to them at this point in time, and you need to know what you need in place to be able to deliver that. So we don't want to downplay response because it's critically important at this point in time, and it is most people's reality in the organisations we work in. That's where they're being asked to direct most of their attention. We're also kind of saying there's an opportunity to think about reset. So to say, you know, at some point in time, the response requirements around you are going to lessen. How are you starting to think about what reset might look like for you? What are some of those underlying sort of structural tensions or fault lines that you've had in your business that have been causing pain for you or your clients, that you might be looking at this as an opportunity to sort of get some new responses around or pivot. Or also to say, as governments start to reset and try and get the economy going again, what are the, what are the sorts of things they're going to be looking to, to fund? What, what do you want to start to be developing now to be ready as opportunities arise when we move past this response phase? And then saying, like, the third R is reinvention. So we, we, we're just sort of allowing that space, saying to them, you may not have a lot of space to think about reinvention now, but just to make sure that it's in the story, that they can get a sense that this isn't just a temporary kind of fix that's going to be required. There's going to be opportunities they'll want to think about in that reset phase, but they also want to make sure that they're leaving some space to really think about how they're actually building sort of new pathways to their prosperity and impact. Yeah. That if we do have fault lines, they're going to continue to be challenged. 
how are you starting to set up now to be ready for that? And again, maybe to capitalise on that. So that seems to be working well for people who just need to feel like they need to separate a bit of the, you know, the signal from the noise. Yeah. But there's so much, they haven't got enough hooks to go, what's going on? Where are we? Where do I need to focus now as an organisation or where do we need to focus? Obviously, all that's good, sound, strategic and organisational advice and direction. What about the inner journey that people are on, both you and, and of course, your clients? Because this, this is not just a disruption to the external world. It, this is a fundamental disruption to, a, to our own internal world, our own sense of meaning and purpose. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the questions I think you sent in the lead up, Peter, was around what's loosening. <laughs> And, you know, well, what are we letting go of? What's being let go of? And I know for a long time, when we go and work out in these various sectors, there's a host of people that have been expressing a whole host of pain around the current model, whether that's just how much the workload is, whether that is they've got these ideas for how we actually need to transform services and, and all those various aspects but really where the grips of business as usual has made that really hard and it's meant that oftentimes there's not a belief that actually change can happen. So I think, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to answer this fully. Clearly it's a, it's a, it's a complex question, but the things that we see are, we know there's been an appetite for change, so this is going to be particularly painful and you know people are going to have, the response is going to be tricky whether you're in a business that's you know having to let go of staff or even if you're in, government sectors where it's not so much the losing of the job, it's all of the various impacts on the work that you do. You know, So we work with some clients at the moment in the family violence sector who are gearing up for all the ramifications of the, the changes that we're seeing going on. So we know there's going to be a, a lot of pain in that. And I think we're, we're trying to just, in the people we're talking to, make sure we've got realistic expectations too, that we're not, in a sense... We're not trying to say this is a, this is your opening to get everything fixed right now, but we're trying to make sure that's cast in a in a space where we recognise the difficulty and the challenges that they get they've got going on. But at the same time, just allow that glimmer of hope that maybe there's some seeds of something really interesting here. Yeah. Maybe what is it that's trying to be expressed in the world through this disruption? Yeah. Not overplaying that, but just allowing that. You know, just making sure that's in the conversation as well. But I think. You know, what appears to us as one of the, the more significant changes or what my best hopes for what might be being let go of is sort of this narrow view of what prosperity is, particularly obviously in countries like of Australia, you know, where really we haven't got many models beyond financial wealth. And even in the sectors we work on, if we try and talk about their impacts on prosperity, you know, the only way we really measure that is in targets and numbers and things like that. Not, we don't have really sophisticated ways, not even sophisticated, maybe views that just extend what prosperity looks like. I think that's one of the things that I'm really hoping might the conversation might come alive around is what does prosperity look like? What's a life well lived actually look like? Mm. That, that This won't be the end of that conversation, but when we go and do futures talks, we've just been making mention of that as one of our key points to go, look, at some point in the future, we're going to have to have a serious conversation about what a life well lived looks like. Mm. And it feels to me we're just starting to see the seeds of some of that at the moment. You know, and there are some really good models out there, you know, whether it's Sean Esborn Hagen's Wisdom Economies or 
Rob Smith talking about how we make sure we think about capital across our creative and spiritual domains, health and education, relational and cultural, economic and political. So hopefully one of the things that comes from this is that we do, we do have that conversation, that individuals have more space to maybe reflect on that, but also that as a collective, in the way we organise ourselves, we start to get a little bit more serious about making sure those other forms of capital are taken into account when we design models are taken into account and that we start to also build communities that can exchange value across those things, that we legitimise value and start to measure it in different ways. So, yeah, I hope it's the beginning of something there, Peter, or maybe not the beginning, I guess, but, you know, maybe something that just catalyses a little bit of a quicker opportunity that is a perturbation in a sense that creates a bit of a space for the continuity to sort of be a little less fixed so that people can at least be in a position where new opportunities and new ways of seeing things, new vistas start to present around that as well. Yeah. I mean, are you thinking of taking any of that up and building that into your own you know, response? Absolutely. Yeah. So our, where we're heading with Crazy Ideas College is very much in line with that. So our traditional kind of way has been to offer programs both into locations so councils and local business businesses have been almost purchasing it if you like so that we can work with their young people to make sure they become agents of change that they're helping them come up with ideas around that but our bigger goal there is really to create a community of like-minded people who want to move beyond traditional responses traditional approaches but recognize that we need to, I think one of the things we're hoping will happen too is that innovation gets into the commons. So, you know, innovation and new models really, there's been a lot of talk about sharing and scaling and diffusing good ideas, but our experience of that is that that's still managed pretty much within each organisation and, and most of the time that's stifled in a sense by the hierarchy and the, the sense of wanting to make sure continuity is the main game. So. I think one of the things we're trying to do is get innovation out into the commons, and that's what we want to do with Crazy Ideas College. The other thing we want to do there, we're a team of four people, and we go, well, four people can only do so much. But if we start to think like an ecosystem, um, and then we start to think about what are the different ways we can create value for other people beyond just financial, so, you know, have a, have a, a financial exchange to purchase in services. What we're starting to explore now is how is it that we treat this like an opportunity to build that community out in partnership with a whole host of players that we may not have otherwise considered? But we need to start building. We're trying to work out how we build models, if you like, that make evident the different types of value people are looking to extract from their participation in building something like that out and making sure that we can measure that, monitor it, legitimise it, so that we can tap into a whole host of people that can kind of accelerate its development rather than us just thinking it's four people selling programs, building it up over time. It's like, what can we do now? And one of the key aspects of that, as I say, is to think more broadly about who we're partnering in, but to think more broadly about how we create value for them. I think the notions of resilience and and how systems handle shocks, whereas, you know, the old ecosystem model, it's an old model that's well understood. It's not terribly efficient, but, boy, it's resilient yeah. because it, it, it has reserves, it has capacity, it can change without blowing itself up, trying to, trying to work in 
an ecosystem model to promote innovation means nobody controls the process because nobody can control the process. Yeah, and we find it's, you know, it's, it's obviously more tricky trying to build concepts and models that even, as you say, the ecosystem approach is reasonably well understood. And, you know, and, and obviously, you know, we see it in a whole host of our living systems and all of that as well. But it's, it's hard sometimes to translate that back into when we're trying to, we also need money to get this thing up and running, you know, aspects of this to pay our staff and all that. So, so we're dealing with the, the tensions, I guess, of trying to build this out in a way that represents our best hopes for what it can be, but also, if you like, the organising principles of it that are more in tune with an ecosystemic approach at the same time as needing to kind of keep the lights on and to explain it to people and to have offerings in a sense that people can connect to and understand in the here and now. So we sort of recognise at the moment where there's a bit of this hybrid model, but we want to, where possible, infuse our best vision about what's actually possible that moves us towards these new ways of organising, these new ways of innovating together, these new ways of thinking about value. Um, at the same time as recognising that that can be tricky for people to understand, get their head around with, engage at different points in time. We, we, we certainly don't think we've got the answers, but we're kind of excited that this is challenging us to go into that space and really see what we can make work. I mean, at a very simple level, a lot of individualistic behaviours get shown up as individualistic behaviours. So whether it's the person going into the supermarket who grabs all the frozen pizzas because they can, and then no one else gets a frozen pizza or a roll of toilet paper, and then as opposed to the limits being placed on what individuals can do in order for all to get some, without trust, there is no, there is yeah. no ability to create a yeah. system. And yeah. learning how to trust the other person and for them to trust you yeah. is one of those essences of what we have to start creating. And we're yeah. seeing trust emerge because that when it gets very scary outside, people stick together. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. We have these cards that have headlines and signals of change and when we go out and put them out in our sectors, the one that gets pulled up the most is this headline, trust is the new oil. So I think there is a sense out there from people that that's right, we've got to build systems that account for that, that incentivise it, that mobilise it, that promote it. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting reflection. What's your take out? I mean, this has happened to us. I mean, we've had a fairly exciting first uh, three months in Australia, haven't we? We had yeah. we had a uh, Christmas of bushfires yeah. that we thought was the biggest news item. Yeah. And then we've had the COVID-19 tsunami, to use another one of Jim's uh, stories. I mean, how do you make sense of all this, Kieran? Uh, well, there are better futurists than I to make sense of it, probably, Peter. But the, the, the part of it that I'm most interested in is how we prize open as much as possible the sense that start to build belief that transformation is both possible and worthwhile. So recognise it's not going to be the main story. Uh, it's not going to be the main game for a while. But, you know, I, I suspect, I think most in the Futures Committee would sort of suspect, obviously, we're in for a rolling period of disruptions and transitions and so forth for a number of years. But, you know, I, we're already seeing a lot of signals where as we even move beyond response, kind of like that continuity game coming back really quickly. And I think that that is a key risk, you know, that in a sense, this, this may even make surprisingly innovation harder for a few years. Yeah. Because as a, a simple example of that is where we were potentially out getting sponsorships and those sorts of things from businesses. And businesses now, we're hearing increasingly from them is, you know, their response is, A, we've got to get through this and B, we've got to create a big war chest so that we can 
you know, be resistant to future disruptions. And that makes sense to a degree, clearly. But I, I, I certainly do see that, probably, you know, I think there's a significant likelihood that we'll get through this disruption and really the continuity will be the main game, staying alive, going back to our old models, as you say, and feeling like probably we've, you know, survived the worst of it for a period of time. And so I hope that we can use this as an opportunity to make sure that transformation story, that piece doesn't get lost, that we build enough legitimacy around that story and the need for it, that we actually have deep structural tensions and fault lines, you know, in our traditional systems and responses that are going to require us to think differently, to think creatively, to move beyond how we've organised in the past. So that's the piece of the puzzle we're most interested in, is how do we tell a story that connects with people, that gives people a sense that, yeah, we've got to do this, we've got to make sure this at least, you know, is part of what we're doing, and then building the mechanisms by which they can do that. And for us, that's Crazy Ideas College and our platforms that we've got there. It's not enough to just say, hey, believe in transformation. For us, we want to be in the game of giving them a place to go and do that with others who also want to be part of the transformation game. Uh, That's the piece of the puzzle we're really interested in probably, Peter. Thanks, Karen. It's been uh, it's been good to talk, and it's been good to hear your stories about Crazy Ideas College and all the work you're doing out in Ballarat. Do take good care of yourself and your kids and your family, and hopefully we can talk more in the future. Yeah, you too. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Peter. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.